Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show to help you understand your money. We've got a great show this week. We're going to look at the stock market and things that might impact its movement toward the end of the year. In the legislative update, we're going to talk about some changes you might expect under a Biden administration. The Plan Your Prosperity segment this week is interesting because it looks at how the way you believe about money impacts your investing decisions. It's a field called behavioral finance, and I think it's really cool. I think you'll enjoy it. Finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, I'm going to answer the question of why do I use the word prosperity so much? And we're going to tie into Thanksgiving and maybe finally end the show on a bright note in a year that hasn't been all that cheerful. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market Report. This is for the week ending November 13th, 2020. And remember, the week ahead of that was election week, and the market did very well that week as well. But last week, the market did really very, very well, more than I would have expected it to right after an election. And why do I say that? I thought that the markets were probably trying to get through the election, and then if there was going to be a correction, it would happen regardless of who won. But right now, actually, the markets are still holding up pretty well. The Dow had a super week, closing up a little over 4%. The S&P 500 closed up about 2.16%. The NASDAQ was the only loser that week. And it's a little bit a reaction to the great news that we got out of Pfizer and then today's news out of Moderna that there might be a vaccine earlier than we were afraid there was going to be. So when that happens, the possibility that we could be returning to real life activities gets a little bit higher. One reason the NASDAQ has done so well this year is that we've all had to rely on technology so much. So I'm not saying that the NASDAQ's going to crash, but I'm not surprised that it had a little bit of a pullback last week, given the possibility that in-person meetings may become easier, people may be able to function more the way we did before it was 2020. Gold went down three and a quarter percent last week. West Texas Intermediate Crude also sees brighter days ahead, and it went up 7%. The 10-year Treasury yield went up about 1.5%, and an aggregate bond mutual fund went down just a little bit, about 0.15%, as a reaction to interest rates going up. And finally, the dollar index closed up about half a percent. So here we are, it's the end of the year, we've had the election, all appearances are that Vice President Biden will be the president-elect come January 20th. And so what does that mean, and what's the market going to do with all of this? And like I said earlier, I had really thought there was a possibility of a market pullback, just because 
markets have a tendency to to do really well and then when they get news sometimes they have a little bit of a correction i think the pfizer news helped control that quite a bit last week i think the moderna news this week may help to control it as well but i was doing some reading to see what other people thought and generally even if there is a bit of a bumpy transition period between the outgoing Trump administration and the incoming Biden administration, what I was reading said nobody thinks this is going to break the bank. Nobody thinks that our republic is going to crash just because there's a bumpy transition in power. This has happened before. It doesn't happen very often. But in general, that wasn't seen by most people as moving the markets much either way. There is an anticipation of stimulus on the part of the markets. If they didn't get that stimulus, there might be a pullback. But what I've been reading, it's what I've believed, but it's also been borne out by what I've been reading from other people, and that's the number one news story and the number one thing that is impacting the economy is still the coronavirus. And until we do something to get that under control with a vaccine, which really does seem like the only way it's going to work, it feels like the latest rounds of trying to control people's activities may help us bring it back down to get us away from the horrifying numbers where we are right now. But the real solution is going to be the vaccine. And until that happens, and until we have enough of our population vaccinated that we can begin to return to normal life, it's really going to be a drag on the economy. Eventually, that drag on the economy is bound to be a drag on the markets. Additionally, if there isn't a stimulus package, the markets might start falling again. One of the articles that I read said that, remember back in the spring, there was no stimulus until the markets went into free fall. Now, this person wasn't suggesting that that would happen, but it may take a stock market reaction to the coronavirus before a lame duck Congress feels compelled to do something. So we'll have to wait and see. So if you're looking at things to worry about this fall, the transition between administrations probably isn't it. I really do think we'll probably get that stimulus package. But then really watching the virus and anything we can all do to try to help control that will make all of the economy work better. It will make the stock market work better. And it will keep us from having another major market reduction or an economic crisis towards the end of the year because nobody wants that. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And the biggest legislative update is it does appear that Vice President Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. And that is going to have an impact on some of the actions taken by government agencies and some of the rules passed regarding your money. So let's talk a little bit about what happens during this transition, because I got some information this week that I didn't know before, and perhaps you don't either. First of all, if something has been passed within 60 days of an inauguration, 
it's relatively easy for the new president and the new administration to go in and say, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to go a different direction. And it doesn't require very much to overturn it. On the other hand, if a rule has been in place for more than 60 days prior to the inauguration, then it's much harder for the new administration to say, no, we're going in a new direction. I mean, it can be done. You can pass a new rule, but it's much more of a process, much more of a legislative and regulatory endeavor to do it. So what does that mean? Well, the most recently passed rule regarded the um, regarded the ESG investing. Remember, that's the environmental, social, and governance test for the investments that could be held in 401k plans. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago and said that Department of Labor had said that no investment choices within a 401k plan had to be made for pecuniary, which is a high dollar word for monetary reasons, not for other reasons. And so they had dropped the ESG specific language, but there's a very strong implication that ESG investments aren't going to be allowed in 401k chosen funds. Now, let's back that up just a second, because even that might be a little bit um, confusing to you. When you have a 401k plan, many times you're given a list of funds to select from, and you choose the investments that you want, and you put together your portfolio. Often within that list of funds, there was something like a socially conscious S&P 500 fund which meant that it eliminated certain holdings out of the S&P 500 that weren't seen to be socially conscious. Sometimes that's oil, sometimes that's tobacco, sometimes that's alcohol. It just depends upon how the fund is put together. So what's happening with this rule is that choice is no longer going to be inside your 401k plan. So if you have to choose from a list of funds, you can't choose that anymore because the fund administrator is going to have to take it out. Now, on the other hand, you might have something called an open architecture 401k. And what that means is if you fill out the right paperwork, you can basically choose from the universe of investments. And if you're doing all of your own selecting, then you would still be able to select those socially conscious funds if you wanted to do it. And certainly, that kind of investing is fine. But I would like, in, in realm of the fact that this is becoming a thing, everybody's talking about it, everybody's stressed out about it, I'd like to give you some considerations if you're wanting to do socially conscious investing and you're trying to make your own choice. Okay, first you need to be really clear that you know what the fund is doing that's socially conscious. Because socially conscious funds are super trendy right now. So lots of companies are issuing them, and they're not issuing them necessarily with the same definition of socially conscious as what you have. So it's fine to invest. I'm never going to tell you what to buy and what not to buy. I just want to make sure you know what you're buying. So look into it. 
You might also want to look at the fees associated with it and compare them to comparable funds. See what you're paying for that social decision and decide if it's still the choice you want to make. And then I would look at return and I'd compare anything that is socially conscious but basically tied to an index to what was the index return when the funds were handled not without the holdings taken out. So in other words, what's the plain old index versus what's the socially conscious index? Again, I don't care what you do, but I just want you to know what you're doing and I want you to know the choices you're making because they rushed through that ESG rule. You know, it's just right now, November 16th. They still have four days to put things through and be outside of the 60-day window. So will a Biden administration be able to easily overturn that? No, they won't. So this is probably going to be the rule for a while. You need to be careful with it. Rules that they probably will be able to adjust is the whole best interest. Hi, I'm acting in your best interest, but I'm not really a fiduciary. And if you don't know that story, it's too long for this episode, but you need to go back and listen to some previous episodes of the radio show or the podcast and understand what what they were doing with this. They basically stole the language of best interest, but said it's no longer fiduciary. And it's both a Department of Labor thing and an SEC thing. But the good news is that rule isn't finalized yet. And it's quite a way from being finalized. And remember at the time, I said, if there's a change in administrations, this may go away. Well, the absolutely universal belief right now is it is going away. There's going to be a true fiduciary rule put out next year or as soon as they can get everything in place, maybe possibly 2022, that will undo all of this confusion of language. Now, my personal opinion, I think that's a great thing. I'm all for clients understanding what's going on with their money. It's what drove me into this profession in the first place. So I think that's a really great thing. I think that the um, the um, socially conscious investing, you can do that in other money. You can do it in your, in your IRA. You can do it in a plain old investment account. The final piece is there have been some state-sponsored IRAs that have been getting a lot of pushback. It looks like those may get a chance to go through. So certainly this is the beginning of a lot of legislative news, and I will keep you up to date, and I'll let you know as things change. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I'd like to talk to you about something that has the official name behavioral finance. But in regular person speak, what that means is sometimes we make decisions about our money that aren't actually logical. And I'm sure that if you think about investing decisions that you've made in the past, you can see places where at times you didn't follow the most logical path. In fact, one of the premises of traditional finance, which is the rational investor, is really only partly true. Now, if you're not being a rational investor, that doesn't mean you're irrational. It doesn't mean you're totally crazy. But it does mean that things that aren't completely related to your rate of return 
impact your decision-making process. And 2020 has been an enormous year in looking at how other factors other than the market impact how we view investing because the world has blown up. And so there's a very interesting study that was actually funded by Schwab, but it's actually put out by Cerulli, that's C-E-R-U-L-L-I. And I'm going to put a link to this because this information comes both from the Schwab summary as well as from the report itself. Now, just because it's coming from Schwab doesn't mean it has an agenda. This is just, um, Cerulli needed someone to fund the study. So, so the fact that it's from Schwab is not an endorsement of Schwab. It's also not a criticism of Schwab. And Schwab didn't really have anything to gain other than just putting in interesting information out there. And so in the field of finance, there's basically two different kinds of financial advisors. The ones who follow traditional finance and the ones who follow behavioral finance. So a traditional finance person is not going to be taking behavioral factors into account. Now, this isn't always true, but a traditional finance advisor would be more likely to, when a client calls worried about the market, say, well, you know your best bet is long-term, so stay the course and hang up. Now, yes, your best bet is long-term most of the time. Your best bet is stay the course most of the time. But when a client's totally losing their mind, sometimes that advice is either super irritating or not followed at all or leads to that client going out and either deciding they're going to do it themselves, they don't need the advisor in the first place, or seeking out a new advisor. On the other hand, when an advisor can go in and say, you know what, I understand this. I understand why you're stressed out. Let's talk about what's going on. They might be able to get the client to that same stay the course, but by acknowledging the client's stress level, it is a much easier way of helping the client stay the course. So that's from the perspective of where this paper is coming from. But the findings I thought were really, really interesting. So for the advisors who were the traditional finance people, they only 36% of them gained clients during this downturn, where the, where the advisors who followed behavioral finance and acknowledged to the clients that they knew they were stressed out of their mind and that was okay, they actually gained new clients at the rate of 66%. So just from a business perspective, it has a tendency to work really well for the advisors, which is probably why Schwab did this study. Now, what I thought were interesting are what kinds of biases or what kinds of mental mistakes are the clients making when they're looking at their money? So the biggest one by far was recency bias. Recency bias says that what happened right behind me is what is going to go down, what is going to happen forever. So if the market is going down, oh my God, it's going to keep going down and we need to go all the cash. Now the flip side of that 
also happens, and it happens even in non-2020 crazy pandemic years. The market is going up. It's going to keep going up. I should put my money in. Okay, when you think about it, when I say it like that, it's kind of obvious that's not right, but it is super easy to get trapped into that thinking. In 2020, the concern with loss aversion got much higher. Now, nobody likes to lose money. Nobody likes to watch their portfolio go down, but sometimes loss aversion will cause someone to sell at maybe not the best time. So that then what ends up happening is that loss that they were trying to avert, they actually lock in. And because they also tie that to recency bias, which is the market's going down and it's never going up again, they can miss a recovery. So loss aversion, there is nothing wrong with taking steps to make your portfolio where it needs to be, reevaluating your risk tolerance and making sure that everything lines up. But that that in the moment, oh my God, I've got to do something might not be in your best interest. Framing was a huge issue this year. And when we frame something, we look at it in context, but sometimes that context is either smaller than it should be or bigger than it should be. Most framing issues are creating too small of a window. So for example, let me give you let me give you an example from this show. When I give you weekly market returns, those aren't always really how we should be looking at this data. And that's why I try to also give us quarterly returns and year-to-date stuff and longer-term return averages. Because if we just frame everything in what happened in the last week, or if we frame what happened in the last month when we got our investment statement of, oh my God, it went down, you know, and we don't look that for the last three months it went up. That framing messes us up. And then finally is the mental accounting. Mental accounting is actually easiest to see in a casino. And it's when you make a win and then you don't mind continuing to gamble because it's house money, right? It's not your money. Well, that's crazy. The minute that money or that ticket comes out of that machine, I'm giving my age away, money doesn't come out of machines anymore. The minute that ticket comes out, that's your money. And it is just like you walked in the casino with that much money. But that isn't how we see it. It's like, oh, well, this wasn't real money. This is going to be money I can play with. Now, the other thing can happen. So if you have a stock that's gone up a lot and it starts going down, then people don't tend to worry about it because it's still all gain. Much more common to see mental accounting related to single stocks than indexes. Okay, so so the mental accounting piece of that is more likely, in my experience, that's, this isn't from the Schwab study or the Cirilli study, this is my experience. People tend to do it with stocks more than they do it with indexes. But here's the one that gets people even worse. They buy something and it goes down. And I'm not going to sell it until I've got my money back. Okay, that's the reverse of house money. Now the house owes you money and you're not leaving until they return it. That can also cause you a huge amount of problems because sometimes, especially with single stocks, they don't come back. That was one of the things that went wrong with my mother's stockbroker back in 2000, which is why I got into this is he was convinced that the loser high-tech stocks he had are in were going to come back, and they didn't. 
So you've got to be really, really careful. One final interesting piece of data, when we're looking at what men versus women were worried about this year, men were overconfident by 51%, and I'm just going to leave that alone. Women were loss averse by 77%. And we wonder why money is one of the biggest causes of divorce. That's all we're going to go into this. You might want to look at the study. It's really interesting. We'll talk more about it later. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And this is my favorite part of the show, even though sometimes it's also the shortest part if I have other things that I was wanting to share with you. But this is your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you would like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y dot com, and submit your question. You'll see a link you can click on and send me your question, and then maybe I'll be able to answer it on the air for you. So I'm always interested in what you have questions about. I'm always interested in what you have to say. So please reach out to me on that website again, which is askpeggy.com. Today, the question I want to address is something that I've been asked over and over again, and it ties really well into the Thanksgiving season that we're just about to go into. And that is, why do I use the word prosperity so much? If you look at the title of my book, it's 52 Weeks to Prosperity. Why do I say that? Well, I've used the word for almost as long as the business has been in existence. So for almost 17 years, I've used the word prosperity. And I came to the word originally because I was told I needed an elevator pitch. I needed a tagline. I needed something that would be a word associated with me. And I didn't like the word money. I didn't like the word rich. I didn't like anything that suggested that if you weren't just financially fabulous, that you didn't have value. And so I settled on the word prosperity. And I know that in some circles, there's the suggestion that, oh, well, you know, prosperity can get you anything. That, that's not how I use the word. I use it to say that prosperity is everything that makes your life meaningful. And of course, financial security really helps make your life not stressful. But you're also prosperous if you have family, if you have friends, if you have children or grandkids or nieces or nephews or fur babies, if you have activities that you like to do. Everything that brings you joy makes you prosperous. And this has been a lousy year. This is a hard year to talk about Thanksgiving and, oh boy, isn't it great? Let's all give thanks. But remember what happened the year of the first Thanksgiving. So 102 passengers came over on the Mayflower and only 51 of them survived the first winter. So half of the people on the Mayflower 
died that first win that first winter in Plymouth, Massachusetts, because there wasn't food and disease was terrible, and they didn't have enough time to have enough to eat. It, it was just a disaster. And so the next year, they planted their crops, they worked with the Native Americans, and that fall, they had a feast of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that they had come through it, Thanksgiving that there would be better days ahead. And that's how I want us to view Thanksgiving this year. And I know that there are people who aren't here to celebrate Thanksgiving with us, and I am not even for a minute going to say I can comprehend your grief, okay? And I am not going to minimize it. But I want you to try to find something to be thankful about this fall. Thankfulness makes us feel better. It helps us get through things. If there was ever a year we needed a Thanksgiving, it's this year, and it's up to us to figure out how to do it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>